Imagine all of your professional or career goals coming true, and you built a business that had a great brand and employed hundreds or thousands of people. But within a span of a few short years, it was completely gone. That's what's happening in American business these days, and we want to know why. Welcome to Brandology. Welcome, everyone. I'm your host, David Morrow, and alongside co-host Mark Mosher, we will be exploring stories of great brands. Throughout this series, you'll hear directly from people who have succeeded in leading. Please don't forget to subscribe and follow. Thanks for joining. So welcome to the Brandology podcast. Um, today, we have a very special guest, uh, Alicia uh, Kilgus, uh, CEO of uh, Singota Solutions and um, she will explain their vision and what all they do for the industry. And in the studio also is uh, my co-host, Mark Mosher. Mark, how are hello, you? Hello, hello. Doing well, thank you. Awesome. So welcome, Alicia. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? Doing great. Doing very well. So we were just having a, a, a pre-recording conversation. It was really good, so that's why I wanted to to go ahead and start the episode. Um, I always enjoy speaking with you. I always learn a lot whenever we get together. And I feel the yeah. same about you. Well, let me say, yeah, thank, thank you for your time. I, I really do appreciate it. I know how busy your schedule is. Just so we can kind of um, bring the listeners up to speed and, and get them familiar with, with who you are and what you're doing. Maybe just kind of tell us uh, what it is that you do with Singota. Okay. Uh, so, well, Singota Solutions is a um, contract development manufacturing and manufacturing organization, and we help other pharmaceutical and biotech and animal health uh, clients bring their new products to the clinic to be tested to see if they're safe and effective, and then on to the market once they get commercial, like FDA approval. And so we're all about uh, helping our our goal is to uh, be part of the solutions that help bring more and better products to patients who have been waiting on them. That's our that's sort of our um, battle cry is patients are waiting. And so oh. we shouldn't waste any time. We shouldn't waste any money. And we should try to be to make things as reliable as we possibly can, even though there's a lot of uncertainty when you're developing drugs to test in people because each person is so unique and what their environment is, what their um, health is, what their um, resources are, what they eat, what they do that day. So, you know, whenever you're putting a drug inside an individual, there's all of those very unique parts about them that are going to affect the way the drug behaves within them how much it helps, how many side effects they're going to have. Um, so it, it's, um, it's, it's a very challenging business to be in, but for all the right reasons, it's challenging and needs to be done. People are the true treasures in this life. And um, so we want to be about making their lives as healthy and long as possible. Well, that's very interesting. <laughs> I really appreciate you sharing that. Uh, I, I really do. Let me ask you this. Um, with that being said, and we see where you are today, maybe tell us a little bit, how, how has your career progressed? What, what's kind of brought you into this role? Oh, I think like most people, <laughs> it's very circuitous. 
uh, path, and I get asked this when I go back, and I go, Purdue is where I went to school for college, and then um, to schools here in Indiana for high school and grade school, and I get asked to explain to young folks um, how I ever got to where I was, where I've gotten to, and I'm, I'm like, you know, it's a directional thing. You know what you want to leave as a personal legacy. You know, when, when you leave this world, you want to leave it better than what you found it, um, found it in, and you want to, you want to use the true gifts and interests and passions that you have about how to do that. So, um, I started in, um, I started out of college in, I graduated um, with a BS in pharmacy and started working at Eli Lilly uh, and uh, worked there and then was surprised at, and I worked on drugs that in development that made it to the market, which is really rare because the uh, failure rate or success rate, whichever way you want to look at it, of new drugs that we discover, only about two in 10,000 make it to the market. Wow. So it's a, two it's a very 000? high value rate. Two in 10,000. I, I don't know that I have to. Yeah, it's really low. And it wow. takes you know, 10 to 15 years to get those two in 10,000 to uh, get to the market and get approved for people to use. And only one of those two is generally profitable because you have to invest, you know, over a billion dollars to get them to the market. And you think about the 9,998 that fail, well, you, depending wow. on where they fail, you had to invest part of that $1 billion in those two. Right. Yep. So, um, so it, it sort of created a, um, and this is not true anymore, but it, at, one, at one time it created a need for companies to really go after what was called the blockbuster drugs. But there's been a, a lot of change in that, and now there are companies doing a lot of good development um, and commercialization of drugs that treat smaller patient populations. They don't become blockbuster drugs as they were once defined as over a, I think over a billion dollars in sales a year was a blockbuster drug. Wow. So, yeah. <laughs> so, and you know, you look at how many, so you have very big unreliability factor of how many don't make it from discovery to commercialization. So that's, I don't know that a lot of industries have that kind of failure rate of things not to prove safe and effective, even if they, or they might have proven effective, but they didn't prove safe. Or they might have proven safe, but not affected. Or they might have failed both. Yeah, that's really hard to even draw a parallel to any other industry like that. And we have some, oh my gosh, the scientists who work in discovery, and not just the scientists, but all of those people that work on that, um, those teams, they get up every morning and go to work thinking, today is the day I'm going to discover one of those that makes it, I mean, just talk about the perseverance and the belief in what they're doing that, um, you know, they, and they tend to work for over 40 years, most of the ones I know work for over 50 years, they don't give up. And and they see so little success when you look at what most people quantify as success. But they think tomorrow may be the day. Wow. And so they they well, get up and do it again. Yeah, it's it's the it's it's the optimism and the phrases that many um inventors have always 
espoused, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, Thomas Edison, at least the phrase that is attributed to him, I don't know whether he said it or not, but it's about, you know, um, it's, 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 it's about having 10,000 opportunities to fail in order to get that one success. It's, it's, it's not a matter of failing 10,000 times. It's just a matter of opportunity to learn 10,000 times in order to reach that. Right. And, and, you know, we do learn much better by failure than we do by success. And adversity always challenges you and makes you stretch and grow in, in ways that you never would have thought to if you had just been planning, well, tomorrow I think I'll grow in this area. But when you really have to solve a problem and you really tackle it and solve it, that's when you really learn something not only about solving the problem, but also about yourself and what you like and you don't like and more about who you are and what you're capable of, what you're good at, what you're not so good at. Um, we all have strengths and weaknesses yeah. and that's why we need each other because yeah, nobody has all the answers. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, learning from failures is really uh, why Mark and I are so smart because we have yeah, very little why we success. Do so well. <laughs> yeah, very little success that we constantly are learning over and over. Lots of opportunities. Lots of opportunities uh, for growth. No matter how many times you fail, um, you don't become a failure until you refuse to get back up and try again. Yeah. And yeah. or you blame or you blame someone else. Um, yeah, accountability is a big factor. Yep. Right, right. So to go back to your original question, I mean, I, I think um, far too many people look at others in the world or others in the world and say, oh, that's what success looks like. Each person's definition of success should be determined by what are your own gifts, what are your own passions, um, and using those every day and being the best you can be and sometimes that's just showing up because on some days we're really tired and we're not the best we can be, but you show up and um, you're there and uh, um, and the next day you're not tired and, and you really set the world on fire. So uh, I think that that's so key. And I, and I would say in terms of people determining what they want to do in life is directionally know what really matters to you. What would you do? What's so important to you? What pulls at your heartstrings that you'd get up and do it and be very dedicated to it, even if you've never got paid a dime. And that's yeah. Yeah. what yeah. you should be doing. And only you know what pulls at your heartstrings. And so I think that should be how you define success. This is something that because I'm my unique experiences and all the things that make each individual, uh, you know, so treasured and unique, figure out what that is and then go after it. You know, um, I don't know who said this one either, but it was said, you know, life is not a dress rehearsal. This is the real thing. Every day is the real thing. You never get that time back. So treat it like the precious resource it is. I uh, thought that was I thought that was Shakespeare, but then again, I'm sure the listeners will be like, "Hey, Morrow, read a book." Uh, it wasn't Shakespeare; it was somebody else. So, so I'm not attributing that to to him. But um, you founded Singoda, but when it was first founded, it wasn't called Singoda, right? It was called like Bioconvergence. Yes, it was. So, can you explain? Just start start at the beginning, kind of why? I mean, first of all, you're you're a female very successful in the engineering field, right? 
um, that's got to be a challenge in and of itself. So let's let's talk about that eventually. But really, like, why did you create this company? Like, did you see? You must have seen something that well, there was a void or something. Like, what is it that you saw that drove you to risk everything and start your own company? Well, um, the I did, and I think that's the. Um, when people talk about innovation um, versus maybe just improvement, I think it's when you see that a problem needs solving and you choose to solve it by another way that maybe others aren't using, you know, and um, that may not be the right way to solve it for every potential customer, but for some, it's going to be the right way to solve it. And um, so I had worked in product development and global supply chain, um, global business units at Lilly, and then I went to do my first life sciences startup company. I joined one that had just recently started up, and we, back then, the drug recall regulations were from the 1970s, and I don't know exactly how old you guys are, but this was the regulation technology. This is the technology the regulation stated that you um, should facsimile the recall notices if possible or use U.S. mail. Uh, it didn't, it assumed that most sending those cards that fall out of magazines, like it's a business, it's called a business <laughs> yeah. reply card, um, yeah. to, see, to see how many people complied with sending the drug back and they got like pretty much hardly any response and then you really couldn't track it. So we used what is now called the reverse 911, or it used to be called that, where we proactively called with an automated um, system, called the 66,000 pharmacies that existed in the US, whether they were retail or hospital or long-term care, with an urgent drug recall message. We gave them options to push a button to get the a fax if they wanted it. We worked with FedEx and Airborne and UPS at the time. And this is probably going to be amazing because like dropping 60,000 of anything on them in one day would have been way too much for them to handle now with what happens with Amazon. That's, you know, that's standard fare, but we had to choose printing, printing companies across the nation to hit different hubs with their time that they could get things um, get the uh, printer packages and what time the planes left and everything. And then we used 2D barcode to track everything. So when a pharmacy got its letter or fax and its labels and its return box to send the recalled product back, it was all barcoded so you could track everything down to the pharmacy and know whether someone hadn't returned what they had yet. It was very interesting at that time, the, there had been a lot of new things come up, um, hemophiliacs and others that depend on the plasma derivative products. There was HIV and herpes, not herpes, um, hepatitis, and then potentially Creutzfeldt-Jakob's disease that was somehow passing through the manufacturing process. All of those started from donor plasma and then they would make it through and then a hemophiliac would be in a position of would I would I make the decision to to take this 
bottle of factor eight or whatever they needed to take or choose to bleed or go to the hospital because they may get infected by taking their medicine because of the things that have been passing through the plasma derivative uh, manufacturing process or because the donor didn't know that they had something. Kreutzfeldt-Jakob was one of those you couldn't diagnose that somebody had it until after they died. And so after they died, then all of the plasma derivative products that they had ever donated plasma for then had to be recalled. So it was hundreds and hundreds of lots. So So you were seeing a logjam and a delay in getting products developed and in the hands of patients. Oh, yes. When we started bioconvergence, yes. There was there was just too much time wasted in the process and key decisions that needed to be made about were you going to do some steps in parallel and perhaps take a risk that one of those steps that you were going to fail in one, but you still were going to gain so much time if you did them in parallel. And it, it's balancing the risk versus benefit. Um, and then also the just the whole reliability um, factor of whatever is involved in the drug development process, whether it's the people or whether it's the equipment you use or whether it's how you crunch all the data you get or how you document what you do. You need to do all the drug development process in a way so that that information flows freely and gets to the right people. Uh, so they can make great decisions with all the information and all the people need to be really well trained. So we have reliability of when two different people do the same thing, the results are consistent equipment, you know, using the most sensitive scientific equipment to assay the product reliability of manufacturing equipment that wastes the least amount of the active ingredient because the active ingredient is usually, for new drugs, is usually so scarce. Um, every milligram of it is worth gold, worth the price mm-hmm. of gold. Yeah, right. And, and if you waste it, you may not be able to replace it for a year or longer. Wow. So you really slow down the timeline when you waste the active ingredient for new drug products. Yeah. So at what point did bioconvergence turn into Syngota Solutions? And then, and then why did you rebrand like that? Uh, that's a great question. And um, it was, um, I think, about four or five years ago we did that. And we had started, when we started out about 15 years ago, we started out with two services, the two that I know the most about, uh, two of the ones I know the most about. I've done the longest, which is... Um, supply chain and um, product development. And then we added two more in the middle that connect those two and that's doing um, more of the assay and testing work and then aseptic manufacturing. Uh, So what happened was when we had all those four services up and running, then we had the ability to really go from a critical point in drug development and do everything ourselves to another critical point, another gate in the decision-making process about how the drug is doing in development. So it just cut more time out and we thought, okay, now that we have our integrated services available, 
now we should rebrand. And that's how we started off on the quest to determine what we were going to rebrand to. Hey, everyone. Hope you're enjoying this episode. We try and make this a podcast which we ourselves want to listen to. We want it to be good. We welcome suggestions, ideas for topics, or even suggested guests to be interviewed. Help us make this something great. Imagine all the work you do every day being featured on a podcast which really emphasizes the meaning of why you do what you do. Something shining a spotlight on all of your effort. This is that place. This is that podcast. Reach out to our team with suggestions or if interested in advertising at brandologypodcaststaff at gmail.com. Brandologypodcaststaff at gmail.com for details. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe. And now back to the episode. How did you come up with the name Singoda? We hired professionals. Well, someone on my team did. And um, it was a group of engineers from the pharmaceutical industry who had left uh, the pharmaceutical industry and formed a marketing firm. And this is what they do. They help companies develop their brand and they sent us a long list of words and app, you know, interviewed us about what's important and what we want. They'd send us a long list of words and we all would get the list and we'd have to independently say which ones we liked and which ones we didn't. And then we had meetings where they were, you know, the words were, as we narrowed it down, words were spoken in sentences and they did all the searching about what do the words mean around the world. So we didn't like use a word that in some country would be inappropriate. Right. right. It's a true concern though, right? You gotta, you gotta take that into consideration. Yeah. And, and, you know, bioconvergence was really unique when I, for, I named the company and I'm a science geek, so you really shouldn't trust me. And a lot of people had problems spelling it. We shortened, we called ourselves bio C because a lot of people had problems spelling it. But, um, Singota, we just got such rave reviews and we had people that, you know, we hadn't heard from in in several years calling and saying, I love your name. It's, you know, it's easy to say, and it's um, sort of fun to say, Singoda. Right. And yeah. So, so, yeah. So I have to give all the credit to my team. I mean, I went along for the ride, and it was an inter- interesting process that they had us do everything independently, the market marketing firm did. And we had incredible alignment between what we thought fit, who we were, and it was all independent and we're all so different. Um, that is, we were amazed at how aligned we were uh, when they told us the results and they said they'd never had that happen. I think out, out of the eight key criteria, we, we had, we were all the same, we all same, they chose the same thing except for one of the eight. And then there was only a slight difference between, I think there were five of us that did that. There was only a slight difference, but with one person chose something else that was close on the, on them. Right. And they just said, we've never had that before. And I said, well, I think that's about, um, we've been very intentional about creating high trust, high accountability teams. Um, and so we really know who's good at what, and who loves to do what, and we try to make sure we're playing to people's strengths and not playing to their weaknesses. 
in that strength finder saying they tell you that play to yep. people's strengths we we identified all those we went around and talked about um, the results and we changed um, functional reports and other things based on those results because we didn't want anybody working on something that wasn't playing to their strength that's great that's, that's cool so so Singoda is a CDMO can you explain what that is for those that aren't necessarily in that industry yes so where that stands for contract development and manufacturing organization and what we do is um, we're a contractor to any company that has a product we don't own our own products we work on other people's other companies uh, products that are in development and so we would do the development part and then obviously in order to ever dose a patient with a new drug you have to manufacture the product and then you have to test and supply it so we do all four of those things in order to get it to the clinic or um, get it to the market and we're not we're not one of those high speed you know uh, produce millions and millions and millions of units and when we work on commercial things, it's more of the focused on a rare or neglected disease. There are lots of orphan drugs, and they're targeted towards a certain uh, patient population. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we tend to work on what I'd call small-scale commercial products. And so all of this process, going through all the different gates, as you said, all the, all, all the different levels... It, it is basically a, a, you are part of the process from development and testing all the way to marketing of a new drug into the industry, right? And so your role right. is to really speed it up. And, and what's, what's the vision, what's the phrase that, that, that you mentioned um, that, that you guys live by? Uh, well, one of them is patients are waiting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but, um, I mean, other ones are about how we do things and why we do them. Ever since the beginning of the company, and I thought this was so important, and I still think it's important, is if you're going to take the time to do something, let's do it right the first time and on time. And that's one way that you build trust. And it also shows um, others that you actually value them and what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. So... Um, we actually have metrics we post on our website about right the first time, on time, because it's not right the first time if it's not on time. So you only get to that by doing both the content and the timing right. All right. That's great. Well, was there like, was, was there an event or a person that influenced you to get you to want to go into engineering and then to create a CDMO? Um, well, there was, um, there were events when I was really young that caused me to want to be involved in, um, science and also be focused on health, improving health. Um, and one of those was that, uh, I grew up in a rural area and, um, the couple of, uh, girl, female cousins that I had that were a little older than me, um, they didn't survive childhood. Oh. And oh, wow. 
And uh, for different reasons, one of them had like the boy in the bubble or the skin, right. which is supposed to be your largest protective organ, didn't protect her at all. And she died before she was one, I think. And the other one died before she was 10 of a different, uh, of a different um, ailment. So I guess I learned pretty early uh, the, fragil the fragility of life. I think we all act like we're pretty robust. And we make our schedules out each day and we're charging through, we used to be a lot more charging through driving here, driving there, multitasking all the time. But that was something that really had an impact on me as a little girl that in my little mind, it said, for some reason, girls aren't living. Why is that? Mm -hmm. um, and then the other thing is that I had this second grade science teacher at Emmanuel Lutheran where I went to grade school. And... Our, my, one of my first science classes was this little workbook and they gave us a little glass prism and we had this big window on the big set of windows on one of the walls of the classroom and it was a sunny day so she had to wait till it was a sunny day to have this project and she gave us the prisms and she said with this little prism you can bend light which we were all like oh no no you I can't you telling me that. I remember you telling me that so anyway, so but what we all found out was that we could bend bend light, and you know she had a, a faith based message to go with it. And it, if we all are capable of so much more, so much more good, and so many more amazing things than what we think we are, so you need to always remember that um, each one of you are capable of bending things to turn out for good. If you pay attention and think of yourself as a prism and, and then head in the direction of where the light bends. So, but I just loved it. I mean, I was fascinated by science from that point far forward. And I grew up on a farm, so there's lots of science, hands-on science when you grow up on a farm. We didn't call it science. We just called it farming. Right. <laughs> that was just farming knowledge, right? It wasn't, it wasn't a science then. <laughs> I know. We didn't call it science. <laughs> yeah. Well, you've been through so many different things and, and experienced so many different levels of living life, and it's it's really it's it's inspiring and, and very insightful to hear you talk about it. Do you ever look back, or can you really point to like maybe what was one of the biggest challenges you faced? Well, I'd have to say um, that um, hiring. Hiring the right people and having the right people in your life, in your circle, your inner circle of influence, that's probably been, um, I made some great decisions in um, some of those and I made some really bad decisions in other ones and trusted the wrong people. And then you have to learn what, what is it in you that led you to not be discerning about who was a good fit and who wasn't. And one of the things that I discovered on that journey was this whole hiring, when I say hiring, whether it's for business or whether it's as a close friend or someone who's in your sort of personal board of directors for your life, is to find out, you know, do they align on the same sort of core values that you do? You know, are they really trying to be the best that they are, know who they are and be the best that that they can be or are they one of the people who are saying no I think the world defines success like this 
And so I'm going to not be who I'm truly am, but try to be what the world defines as success. Um, because I don't share a core value with those people. I share a core value with the people who are just fine with who they are. They know who they are, strengths and weaknesses, good days and bad days. And they're trying to make every day as good as it can be. So that's just one example. There's about five or six of those. <laughs> right. So that's, that's really good. It's, it's interesting as, as we talk, it's, you're painting a picture for me that the organization, uh, the brand of how it's recognized, it seems that there's a lot of, of culture, a lot of importance on culture uh, with your organization, with the brand that you stand for. Does that sound accurate or could you tell me a little bit more about your culture there? Yes. So um, we had a very uh, customer-focused culture um, when we first started out, and then we sort of lost that. We had some people who were in leadership positions that either didn't buy into it or didn't know how to, to make it happen. And so we got a little off course, and so we brought in some folks to help us get back on course. And it's amazing when you decide very diverse people, different backgrounds and education, life experience, different ages, um, different ethnicities, everything. I would say we have incredible diversity in our um, team, and I think diversity of ideas is the most critical factor for diversity, and that we have they're so diverse, but we're so unified in purpose. We so share the vision of what we're trying to do. And when you are aligned on the big why, you know, why do you get up and go to work here instead of there? Why do you do this job instead of that job? You know, it's got to be more, it's got to be about more than money. Um, right. Yep. I mean, really, you're not going to take any money with you. And um, I think it's, you know, that doesn't make you feel great when you get home at night and say, wow, we really accomplished something good today. Not that it's not important. It's a tool, but it is not the measuring stick. Hey, everyone. Hope you're enjoying this episode. We try and make this a podcast which we ourselves want to listen to. We want it to be good. We welcome suggestions, ideas for topics, or even suggested guests to be interviewed. Help us make this something great. Imagine all the work you do every day being featured on a podcast which really emphasizes the meaning of why you do what you do. Something shining a spotlight on all of your effort. This is that place. This is that podcast. Reach out to our team with suggestions or if interested in advertising at brandologypodcaststaff at gmail.com. Staff at gmail.com for details. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe. That is a wrap for part one. Part two is coming up next. Please stay tuned. Hey, David, that was another good episode. Really went well. Uh, unfortunately, don't really have a way of wrapping this up. No, uh, no, we really don't have anything formal or fancy or technological. Um, thank you for listening. Please follow and subscribe. Turn notifications on so that when we post the next episode, you will be notified of the new content. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We really appreciate it.